Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you guys again. Uh, like Matt said, my name is Ben Fleet, and I am the lead pastor at Voyage Church in Montreal, uh, Quebec. So yeah, this is our third year in a row with you guys. This is our fourth time uh, being with you guys, and I always find it a joy and a privilege to be uh, back with you guys here at Crosslink. Um, I always find it a bit difficult preaching the week after Thanksgiving. Um, there's a lot of sin that needs to be confessed around the ideas of gluttony. Um, I was telling the earlier service, you know, in Canada, we have Thanksgiving in early October. And so, like, we call that pregame. Um, like, we literally, we get up in the morning, we watch last year's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on YouTube, and then we have Thanksgiving dinner. But it's just not quite the same, you know? They don't know how to smoke a turkey like people down south do, you know? And I felt really bad because at my uh, extended family's Thanksgiving uh, dinner, I ate two of four turkey legs. Um, There's like 30 people and I eat two of the turkey legs. I kind of felt guilty, but I'm from out of town, you know, just give me a break. Uh, but man, it was so good to, to be back with you guys. Uh, each time, I feel like each time I come back, I'm like, sharing another lap of the journey of what God's been doing. The first year we joined you guys, we, we shared with you how we felt like God was uh, calling us to Montreal to plant a church. And we had been there for a little over a year at that point. And uh, we're celebrating the, the small things that God had done. Last year, when we uh, were back with you guys, I think we were celebrating that we had had a, a launch team uh, assemble and we were beginning to talk and discover what this uh, new launch team was going to look like and what this new church plant was going to look like. And now this year we are celebrating post-launch uh, what God's done. You know, last year we, we started with eight uh, launch team members and we were excited. In Montreal, eight's like, that's a big deal, you know? Um, and uh, as of right now, I think we have about 15 members of our launch team. So we've nearly doubled, which is really cool. Um, when you're talking to pastors and trying to raise support, you always want to say, yeah, we've grown nearly 100% in one year, you know, um, eight to 15, but you take what you can get. Um, uh, you guys sent a team up uh, last year in April for our first preview weekend. And man, I am, uh, I am very gracious and, and very grateful to Crosslink for sending a team up for our first preview weekend. Um, they came up, they showed up, and they're like, all right, what are we doing? And I'm like, that is a great question. We are trying to figure that out as well. What do we need to be doing? Um, but they helped us think through some things. Uh, I always tell Scott that John Unger, is John in here anywhere? Are they out of town? I don't know. Uh, John Unger came up, and I told him, I was like, I, everyone needs a John Unger on their team. Because there was one point He's riding in the car with me and he says, uh, hey, shouldn't you need to, don't you need to call your wife right now? And I'm like, you're right. I do need to call my wife. Um, someone needs, you need that guy in your ear, you know? And man, it was just an amazing weekend we had of just uh, engaging our neighbors. We were handing out free coffees at the Metro, just co creating conversations with people, inviting them to our service. We had our first preview service that weekend. And boy, let me tell you, if things could go wrong, they did. Um, about a month before our uh, first preview service, we had had like a list of locations that we were going to meet in lined up. So we were trying to finalize this. And like a month before our first preview service, every place bailed on us last minute, you know, and we were like uh, going into it a month ahead of time. We're like, what is going to happen? We had a uh, Russian Baptist church. Uh, shout out to all my Slavic people out there. Any Russians? Slush, kaktalak. Uh, that's all I know, I promise. Um, but, uh, you know, so we had a Russian Baptist church in the neighborhood next to us offer us their space for our preview services. And so we met there for our first five uh, preview services. 
But then we had to come up with this idea of like, where are we going to meet when this is done, you know? And uh, we couldn't really meet in the Russian church like forever. Um, while we had our services, there was a Sri Lankan Pentecostal church in the basement that met. So you can imagine things got a little rowdy. Um, it was a little loud down there, but it was really cool while it lasted. And we were very thankful for the opportunity. And uh, we started also praying and saying, God, where are we going next, you know? And uh, one day, Cody and I, Cody's kind of like my, my right-hand guy, and, and he's uh, preparing for the ministry. He just uh, got ordained. And we were sitting there talking, and I said to Cody, I said, what if we could get our own space? which in Montreal is like not possible. Um, there's, quite, there's several different church plants that we're connected with in Montreal and like none of them on the island have their own location like Monday through Sunday. They all have to like, they may have an office and then they meet somewhere on Sunday like a school or a movie theater or something like that. And so uh, that's what we had been trying to plan for and everything fell through. And so we said, well, let's just start praying and asking God for a miracle. And this was kind of like our Hail Mary. This is our last, this is our last option, really. And so we started praying through it and we said, okay, so this is what we need. We need about a thousand square feet probably and uh, about in price range, we could probably do about 1500 a month. And um, we started praying through that and started calling different places in our neighborhood and uh, tell them what we were looking for. And the, about the average price range we were getting was about $2,500 to $3,000. And so we're like, oh yeah, we need about half of that price and all of that space. And um, we're praying. I go to Texas. We're, we're support raising in Texas. And uh, they're like, where are you meeting? I'm like, I don't know. Well, we're going to meet somewhere come September, you know. And uh, we were just praying and asking God for a miracle. We roll back in town. And there was an office complex near in our neighborhood that had a big sign that said space for rent. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. We have storage in that building. So I know some of these people already. And so uh, we, I went over there and told them what we were looking for and about the price we needed. And they said, well, I might have something. And they take us into the room. It's sure enough, about a thousand square feet. And uh, I'm like, okay, okay, that's, this is great. You open the windows, you look at the windows, you've got Mount Royal and uh, just our entire neighborhood out the window. It's just a beautiful view. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's this going to cost? And they said, well, we could probably do about uh, 1500 I, I like picking my jaw up off the floor. I'm like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? And he's like, we could probably do about 1500 somewhere around there. And I was like, oh, that's great. You know, I was, I'm really excited. And I haven't told him I'm a pastor of a church yet. Um, and I want to use this space to meet as a church. Because in Montreal, the moment you say you're with the church, they shut you down. They're like, no, nope, we're done here. There's a lot of baggage with the church. So they just don't really want to even entertain the idea of a church in their space at all. So I kind of avoided that at, at the immediate outset. And then I emailed him later and I said, hey, look. I'm a pastor of a church, the space. I was wondering if we would be able to use that to meet in for our worship services as well as use it for office space. And uh, he said, I'll check the bylaws. And he came back the next day and said, there's nothing in the bylaws that says we can't. Um, he did ask, what kind of church are you? And I'm like, that's a weird question. Why? What do you mean what kind of church am I? And he's like, well, we had a group in here one time that like, we're burning incense to snakes. And I'm like, well, that's definitely not us. I can promise you that, you know. And uh, he was like, okay. Now, that was really exciting. The only bad thing was is the room was like a, a, a vomit yellow with like a blood tile floor, you know. And so we we're like, we're going to need to renovate the space. So it came in, there were six rooms. And so we said, could you tear out like three of these rooms make a big open space, and then we're going to take care of everything else. The problem with renovations is, is they cost money, you know? And we're a church plant. We don't have money. Um, and so we started just throwing out to different partners and said, hey, would you guys pray about helping us with these renovations? And God provided 
over what we were asking. We were asking about $8,000 Canadian and we were given about 10,000 USD. And so with that, like we were able to renovate and make an entire kid space in our, in our, in our space. You better believe that we soundproofed that room as best as possible because um, it's in the same space. It's like here I'm preaching and there's a wall right here with kids. You know, you can imagine it's great. Um, and then like we, we put in hardwood flooring and uh, we let some of the ladies decorate the room because you don't want me doing that. And uh, it's really cool. It's really cool to see what God's done um, along with that, man. So we started in our space the day we launched, September 8th. And um, along with that, man, if I could tell you just more of the stories, uh, people started to connect that are Christians and not part of a church. And then along with that, like, non-believers coming to our church regularly and just trying to discover what the gospel uh, means for them and how it impacts their life. Um, And I just kind of sit back and I've sat back the last year and just kind of been like, what is happening? You know, this is incredible. Um, And I often am just kind of like, this is a dream. But in another sense, I have to remind myself that God called us to this. Our calling was clear. Um, he answered very specific prayer in this, in this call and where God calls, he's faithful because it's God's story. It's not about me. It's not about our family. It's about God. And, um, and God has been so, so faithful in working uh, so far at Voyage Church. And so he's been so good to us. There's a lot of other stories I could, go, I could go on and share with you, but I think I'm supposed to preach as well. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. So 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking today. I personally have really, really enjoyed uh, reading Peter's writings to the early church and hearing Peter's input into the early church. Recently, we just finished last week a series in our church uh, through Mark chapters 1 through 3. And uh, for those of you who don't know, John Mark was a follower of, of Peter's, and people tend to believe that he got most of his material from Mark's gospel from Peter himself. Um, you can see that as you read the gospel of Mark. Along with that, I've been meditating some on my own uh, through First and Second Peter. And you know, like what I love about Peter is his relatability. You know, like as you read and you look at the apostles, you look at Jesus's followers, like some of them I don't relate to. Like John, John, the the beloved disciple, he calls himself the beloved disciple. And like every time you see John in the gospels, he's like touching Jesus and he's like all touchy-feely and like as an American and like English, I'm like, I don't get that. I'm like, hey, I'll give you a handshake. It's good to see you, you know. I don't really relate to John that much. But Peter, Peter's a knucklehead, you know, and I can relate to that. I don't know about anybody else in the room, but very often I can relate to Peter. We see this, you know, one second Peter is proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of God. And then he scolds Jesus with his next breath saying like, hey, this whole crucifixion thing, you need to stop talking about that. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that where like one minute I'm praising God and worshiping him and declaring his goodness and greatness. And the next I'm trying to tell him how to do his job. You know, and that's Peter. And by the time we get to 1 Peter, what we see is that Peter is running a good race. He may, have, he may have struggled a little bit at the start, but now he is running a good race. And this is where Peter is writing to the believers here in 1 Peter. As he's writing to his audience, he's writing to an audience that is primarily discouraged. These are men and women who have put their faith in Jesus. And then because of their faith, they have had to flee uh, from persecution. They've had to flee to different cities in Asia Minor. And as a result, can you, can you relate to that maybe? Maybe you never envisioned living in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Maybe you never envisioned the life that you have right now. But what he's doing to his writers or to his readers and what he's doing to us today is he is reminding his readers of the great hope they have in Jesus. And along with that, he is encouraging them to stay faithful to their chief shepherd. 
So specifically today in our passage, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he is reminding them of their great purpose in life. That no matter where they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they're doing as a job or their family status or relationship status, they have one unifying purpose. Let's look at our passage together. And we'll talk about this in, de- in deeper detail. First Peter chapter two and verse one says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter is writing to these scattered believers and reminds them of God's purpose in their salvation. You know, John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, simply expresses the entire goal of evangelism. The entire goal of missions, church planting, and everything we do is wrapped up in one phrase. Missions exist because worship does not. The entire reason you and I were saved was, as verse 9 tells us, was to proclaim God's greatness. The entire reason we do missions, church planting, and evangelism, impacting the valley and blessing the nations is because we believe that there are people still out there that God seeks to get glory from. And Peter reminds his readers of this purpose. And whether you're where you want to be or not anywhere close to it, we're all unite into this common purpose as the body of Christ. I understand you guys have been preaching a sermon titled Greater Things, which I think is awesome. Uh, Scott was telling me a little bit about it, and I was like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to use that at Voyage one day. Um, But as Christians, we understand that the great measuring tool for every endeavor we take is how much glory we can bring back to God. Indeed, God's glory is the currency of the Christian life. It's how we measure and value everything that we say and do. But in order to do greater things, to accomplish the greatest thing, which is to bring glory and honor to God, we have to do the small things well. Today, the title of my sermon is All the Small Things. And if you thought my title was a reference to a Blink-182 song, you might be a little correct. But alongside of that, we understand that greater things happen when smaller things are done greatly. I love football. Um, Come August, I start singing that Christmas song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, because it's football season. You know, football practice has started. And you know, the one thing that amazes me about the game of football is that there are 11 men on a team on the field at the same time. And 10 of them can be doing their jobs perfectly right. And one of them can mess the whole play up. One person, one, do, one person doing one small thing incorrectly messes up the whole play. And then along with that, if 11 guys are all doing small things right, it can lead to a big play. You know, you've got five guys on the offensive line. Your job is to block that guy in front of you. 
Along with that, you've got the quarterback. He takes the ball. He throws it to a receiver. That receiver catches it. And then say you've got another receiver and his job is to block that guy so this guy can get around and, and make a play. And just doing small little things correctly can lead to big results. And in the same way, what we see in our text is Peter gives his readers three small tasks that if performed correctly can lead to God's greater glory. So this is our question today that we're seeking to answer. How can we proclaim God's greatness? Number one, we can proclaim God's greatness by ridding ourselves of sin or ridding ourselves of dishonesty. Look at verse one of our text. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. So Peter begins by referencing the previous verses. If you've been in Bible college or around preaching classes, they always say, when you see a therefore, you have to tell people what it's there for. Um, And it's a connecting word. And so what Peter's trying to connect us to here in chapter two is the end of chapter one, where he's reminding his readers of their conversion to Christianity by the powerful word of God. And now he's telling them, therefore, because you have been saved by God's power, by God's word, it is time to rid yourselves of dishonesty and sin in your life. And he begins listing several sins. Now notice what he's not doing is just, I don't know, just throwing a bunch of words out to describe sinful actions. Rather, he is giving us very specific sins that he is calling them to remove from their lives. First, He lists malice, which is a desire to harm someone else by our actions. Then he lists deceit, which carries across the idea of deliberately misleading someone or doing the opposite of what you told them you would. He then includes hypocrisy, which carries across the idea of being someone you actually are not. He then adds envy, which is defined as the idea of wanting someone else's possessions or position And finally, he includes in this list slander, which would mean to harm someone else by our words. So to recap, by the end of verse one, he lists sins to remove that include doing harm to others, doing to others what you told them you would not, being to someone who you actually are not, wanting to be someone else instead of who you are, and finally dragging someone else down to your level. Peter says, hey, do you want to glorify God? You want to bring honor and glory to your life? Then you need to remove these actions, these behaviors from your relationships with each other. The word here for rid literally means to take off a a soiled garment. Two weeks ago, um, uh, in, our, in the fleet household, a wonderful occurrence took place. Uh, the service ended. We were cleaning up the church, and Ari ran out, our, our son Arthur ran out of the kids' room, and he looks around and he goes, and just like vomits all over the floor. I, I mean, all over. It was, I've never seen that much vomit come out of a kid. It was crazy. Um, well, the next ensuing hours, was a de- really a lot of fun in the fleet household. By 3.30, I got it. And about 36 hours later, 24 hours later, Alyssa and our daughter Pippa also got sick. And man, we just had so much fun. Um, there was one point <clears throat> where Pippa was laying on Alyssa's chest and was laying there and, you know, just, oh, it breaks your heart watching kids go through sickness. And one point, Pippa looks up at her mom with these, you know, they got those big old teary eyes and she looks at her and goes, and just like vomits all over Alyssa, all over the couch, all over the living room floor. It was disgusting. Can you imagine though, what would be even more disgusting is like Alyssa cleans Pippa up, cleans up the floor, cleans up the couch, and then just keeps the clothes on that Pippa just puked all over. Like, I'll just take a shower later. Like, no, baby, you need to go take a shower now. You stink, you know? Um, That'd be absolutely disgusting. And that's exactly the picture that Peter's trying to portray to his readers. 
that like, man, God is transforming your life. He has done something incredible in you. But these actions, if continued to be carried out in your lifestyle, it's just like a disgusting piece of clothing that you continue to wear. No, it's time to rid yourself of that piece of clothing. Why do you think he lists these sins? You know, as I, as I was reading this text and thinking about the audience that he's writing to, he's writing to believers who are scattered. And you think about like hypocrisy. Think about these people have been rejected for their faith in Jesus. What is your natural reaction in rejection? Build walls. You don't want people in there. You don't want people to see that. Deceit. You don't. Maybe you don't want people to know what's going on and, and why you had to leave town. Maybe that may lead to more questions wherever you're going. Envy. Can you put yourself in their shoes? Can you imagine as you sit down at dinner every night and your kids just complain? Well, you remember back in Jerusalem, back, all my friends have this and they did this and you've had to leave all of that. It'd be easy to envy your old life and everything else. And instead, Peter says, guys, it's, Time to remove that. Remove and rid that from yourselves. Because ultimately in the process, what Peter is trying to show them, that how we treat others reflects on how we view God. We treat people properly, not for their approval, but for God's approval. We treat people properly to glorify his name, regardless of the consequences. And by ridding ourselves of dishonesty, we can see that we can proclaim his glory. Along with that, we see in our text that we can proclaim his greatness by allowing him to reveal himself in, to us in his word. Look at verse 2. He says, "...the like." Newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So first he gives them their disposition that they need to have. He says, like newborn infants. The word here in the Greek literally is the idea of guileless. It's the exact antonym of what we see in chapter two, verse one, describing the word malice. You know, you never see babies like holding out a grudge on somebody like, hey, can you take a hit out on that guy? Like that's not what babies do. Like babies just want to be loved and taken care of and nurtured. And he says that is the attitude that we need to approach God with, like newborn infants. Along with that, we see the desire. He says we are to desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. What we begin to understand is that the Bible is not just the source of our salvation, but it's the source of our sanctification. It is how we are transformed into the image of of Jesus Christ. This inspired, inerrant, infallible book is not just a book we get our do's and don'ts from. But as we meditate in this book, it begins to transform us from the inside out. Notice he says that you are to desire the sincere milk of the word. He gives us an imperative verb there. He says, you need to desire this. But what he's also saying in this is that by going to the word of God, we get the desire for the word of God. Does that make sense? What he's saying here is, hey, do you want to grow in the word? Here's what you need to do. Get in it. And as a result of getting in it, it creates the appetite for more. So we don't come to the Bible just because we feel like it. There are days when I don't feel like going to the Word of God. But rather what we discover as the more we go to it, the more it increases our appetite for it. So he tells us to desire the pure milk for the Word so we can grow up into your salvation. And then look at verse 3. It shows us our delight if you have tasted that the Lord is good. He describes now not only the act of how they grow by taking in the Word of God, but now he begins to describe what the milk itself is. It's the Lord. 
He is the source, the course, and the force of the word of God. Everything we see in this book points back to the good news of Jesus Christ. We jump all the way back to Genesis and we see God creating man and making man good and making all things around man good. But then as we continue, we see man rebel from God. And this rebellion is sin. It's departure from God's design. And man, at that point, decides to, to do things his own way. And as we watch in the Old Testament, mankind's rebellion from God continues to unravel. His depravity gets worse and deeper and deeper. But in the in midst of all of this gross sin, God's grace is always one step ahead. And God is weaving all things together through the Old Testament. He is preparing the way for Jesus himself. And by the time we step into the gospels, here is Jesus, God in the flesh who has come and he lives this sinless life that you and I did not, that no other man ever had or would. And yet he, in spite of that, he dies the death that we deserve on the cross. God's mercy and God's, or God's grace and God's justice embrace at, his, at the cross of Jesus Christ and three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, thus fulfilling every promise that he has made to man. And we can confidently trust in who he is for our salvation and relationship back with God. But the story doesn't end there. It is in and through the gospel message that we begin to be transformed by God's power that is now living inside of us to bring us back into fellowship and make us more into the image of Jesus Christ himself. What we begin to discover is that it is the gospel from beginning to end that begins to transform us. It is not just the diving board of the Christian life, but it is indeed the swimming pool that we stay in. And he is telling them here that if you have tasted that the Lord is good, then you will desire the pure milk of the word. The milk is good. So how do we proclaim his greatness? We rid ourselves of dishonesty. We allow God to reveal his goodness and greatness to, himself, to ourselves in his word. And then finally, we respond to him in faith and allow ourselves to be remade for his purpose. Look at verses four through nine. What we're gonna see as we look is as we see in these, in these next few verses is that Peter is giving his readers three promises that they can rest in. They can trust God by faith in these promises that he's giving them. Promise number one, look at verse four. It says in verse three, if, you, if you've tasted the Lord is good, as you come to him, him being Jesus, a living stone describing him. Now, think of, look at this. Rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You know, as you think about Peter writing this, who's seen the risen Lord and has seen all the miracles that Jesus did, think of all the adjectives you would want to use to describe the person of Jesus. His goodness, his gracious, his loving kindness, his, uh, his worthiness, his mercy, all of these different things to describe him as. And verse four, his description of Jesus as a living stone is rejected. Rejected. When we're talking about God in the flesh, divine, worthy of everything to, that we could give him. And Peter says, he was rejected. But think about the audience that Peter is writing to. The people who have faced complete rejection and have been scattered as a result of their faith. They have faced rejection. And what he's telling them is, hey guys, Jesus is not leading you anywhere that he's not already been. I don't know about you, but have you ever had to be the pioneer in anything? I never forget the first time I was ever away from everyone I knew. 
I was at a basketball camp at Liberty University and I literally knew no one. I had to meet all these new people and it was really intimidating. But you know the interesting thing, the next year I brought guys with me to camp and to them it was all new. But now I was leading them somewhere I had already been. And I could tell them, hey, it's going to be all right. You know, it's a little intimidating. It's okay. And that's what Jesus is for us. He has already been through all the rejection that the world can throw at us. And he's saying, guys, it's going to be okay. That the world's rejection of you is okay. Because what's the opposite? What's he say next? He's been rejected by men, but chosen and honored by God. Jesus didn't find his value or worth in what people thought of him. Rather, he finds his value and worth in the approval of his father. And we can rest in that as well. Promise one, promise number one, Jesus is not leading you anywhere he's not already been. Promise number two, that what God is doing with you is greater than what the world is doing to you. Verse five of our text says, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he gives us the material. The material is, is us. We are these living stones. Given the pressure that these scattered Christians have been feeling, perhaps they are beginning to question whether or not it's even worth going through the rejection that they are facing. But rather, Peter reminds them of the magnitude of what God is doing with them in verse 5. He is building a spiritual house. He's building a new temple, if you will, a place where God will dwell. And remember, these are Many of these people are Jewish believers. These are believers who, when they hear the word temple, their mind goes back to their infancy in Jerusalem. When they hear a spiritual household, that's where they're going. That's what they're thinking. But Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that place in Jerusalem anymore. Because that's not the place where God dwells. I'm talking about you. You yourself are the spiritual household, the place of God's dwelling. And wherever you go, God's presence is going with you. You are the material. Along with this, we were reminded of Peter's own discourse with the Lord in Matthew 16. Peter describes the readers as living stones. If you remember in Matthew 16, Jesus describes Peter as a rock, a stone. The word in the Greek is Petra. And he says, and upon this rock, a Petros, the cornerstone, Jesus himself, I will build my church. Peter is now calling all of Jesus's followers, that saying that they are living stones built upon Jesus Christ as well. This really messes up Catholic theology, by the way, because Peter is not the cornerstone. Jesus is. And Peter is just like the rest of us, built upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we see the material. We see then the labor that we are being built up to be a holy priesthood, the scripture says. He reminds us of the process We are being built up. Now, what's interesting about this is this is a passive voice verb. Say, what does that mean? That means we're not doing the action. The readers are not doing the action. But the actor is God himself. God is the one at work. God is the one that is building them up spiritually. What we begin to understand is ultimately in our Christian lives, it is God that is doing the work in us. And more and more, we're just going along for the ride. He reminds them to rest in that, that God is at work in their lives. 
He reminds them of the foundation in verse 6. He says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Counter that with the description of Jesus of verse 4 as rejected. He says, yes, he was rejected by men, but he's been chosen and honored by God. What we see is even God is describing the value and trustworthiness of Jesus Christ himself. And that if God can choose him and God can trust him, the God who never makes a mistake, then we can trust him as well. We can choose to build our lives on this cornerstone. And then he gives us ultimately the decision, verse 7. It says, so honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has, come, has become the cornerstone. He shows us here the reward and the penalty. It says, for those of you who believe, there's honor. You think about that. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the, the New Testament describes us as not being, you know, servants in the household of God. But we're children. We are adopted sons and daughters. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ himself. That's an honorable position that we get to take part in. And he is inviting anyone to take part in that. But then he gives the opposite. That for those of you, for those who would reject their shame, there's stumbling that takes place. You'll trip the rest of your life over this question of Jesus. And as a result, we'll see, you see that they are destined for eternal damnation and separation from God's grace. To fail to build your life on Jesus is the indicator that you have been excluded from God's grace and you're not part of his salvation work. That those who refuse to believe the good news will be eternally separated from God's grace. So promise number two, that what God is doing with you is greater than what the world is doing to you. And then finally, promise number three, who you are is much greater than who you were. Look at verse nine. He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says, you were, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we look at our text, again, we think of the context. The readers understood these words very clearly. These words were not, again, just willy-nilly phrases Peter's throwing out there. Peter's using very intentional words. As a matter of fact, it's words that God used to describe his covenant with Old Testament Israel in Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 7. And he's saying that in the same way that Old Testament Israel was God's covenant people, now God has covenanted with a new people, his church. And this new people is not based on culture or nationality, but it's based upon anyone who chooses to build their lives on Jesus Christ. So why did God make these people? Why did God do this? We see the purpose. Verse 9, he says, So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. These were, these were Jewish people that were reading this book. 
And he says, hey, your Jewishness did not make you right with God. And it doesn't now. Your faith in Jesus is what makes you right with God. As we begin to wrap up today, what we begin to see and understand in this text is God takes something very ordinary and in God's possession, he makes it extraordinary. We see this happen in our world as well. You know, um, a dictionary cost you, I don't know how much a dictionary costs, let's say $15. Dictionary on a normal average costs $15, but if it's been owned by Abraham Lincoln, all of a sudden the value of that dictionary goes way up. A desk is just a desk, but uh, when people begin to realize that that desk was used by Winston Churchill to write a speech on, all of a sudden that value of that desk goes up. And the same is true with you and I. We were nothing. We brought nothing to the table. And yet God has transformed us. He's transforming us. And in his hands, we are actually worth something. The world may reject us, but we have the acceptance of God himself. As we close our time out today, if you're here and you are not a believer, you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, we want to thank you for choosing to be with us. You could be somewhere else right now. So we thank you for being here. And we don't want to embarrass you or call you out or single you out in any way. But we do want to ask you to consider the gospel story for yourself. That as we see in our text, we see people who have been willing to give up everything to follow Jesus Christ and build their life on him. These people who, are, who have been isolated and rejected. And maybe that's you. You're struggling to find that place where you belong. And I can tell you from assurance that they accept the weirdest of people. Because you accepted me as a church. And there's room for all the weird people, all the outcasts, all the cool people under the blood of Jesus Christ. And we invite you to put your faith and trust, repent of your sins, and believe on him today. In a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer, and there'll be people up front. If you have questions or you just want to ask them to pray with you, We encourage you to do that. You can talk to me or Matt after the service or really any of the leaders here at Crosslink and we'd be happy to share more of the gospel with you and talk through that more with you as well. Maybe you're here today and you're not plugged into gospel community. Like maybe you're here and you're visiting Crosslink and you haven't really made this church your home and you're talking about whether or not you want to make that happen. Well, This is what we're about. We're about spiritual community at this church. I say we because I know I'm from Montreal, but I feel like I'm part of your church. I hope that's okay. Uh, But like, this is what Crosslink's about. We're about spiritual community. And part of spiritual community is, man, we want to invite you to get plugged in with Crosslink as as they impact the valley and, and bless the nations with the gospel. Along with that, we have these things called... we. Crosslink has these things called community groups. And these community groups are times where, we, where they come together and they read the Bible, they pray together, and they just share their lives with each other. And maybe you're like, maybe you've been burned from church in the past where you uh, opened up and they're like, yeah, okay, I'll pray with you about that. And then they go and they tell everybody else about your, your problems. Um, that's not what we're about. That's not what Crosslink's about. But we want to go through life with you. And we want to invite you to let your guard down and share life together. And community groups are a great place to do that. We understand that spiritual transformation happens by the word of God, but often the catalyst for it is the community of God. And we invite you into that as well. Finally, maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you're discouraged for whatever reason. Maybe you're you're Thanksgiving didn't go so well. 
You're wondering where God is in the mess of your life. And I want to just kindly remind you that he hasn't left you, that the rejection that you feel, he's already felt to the fullest extreme. And we can rest in the fact that he is with us and we can cast our burdens on him. So often in our lives, we tend to look at God as the fixer of problems. So we go to God with our problems and ask him to fix them. And when he doesn't, we begin to question, did I do something wrong? Is God, God, are you really there? What is going on? But as we see in our text, and as we see in the whole of Scripture, that God, while He can fix our problems, more often than not, He wants to reveal to us that He is a Father to us. And through the problems of life, He is good and He is trustworthy and we can build our life on Him and rest in His promises. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be adopted into your family. And then God, you did not abandon us. You didn't say, okay, now go figure it out the rest of the way that, God, you personally walked with us. Father, we can trust you. We can rest in you. Father, as a result, we can trust and rest in Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. God, I ask that if there's someone here today that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, that, God, they would begin seeking answer their questions. God, maybe they're ready to respond. God, I pray that you would give them feet to respond to the gospel. Father, we just pray as a church that we would continue to keep in our minds the idea of impacting the valley, blessing the nations. How do we do that best? by proclaiming your greatness. God, remind us, give us a heart to do the small things well so we can do greater things. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.